You're listening to The Athletic Mind with your host, Taylor Cook and Lauren Williams. Welcome back to another episode of The Athletic Mind, where we dig deep and shed light on the mental side of sports for athletes and coaches by having open conversations about mental health, mindset, and performance. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Athletic Mind. And as promised last week, we are going to be bringing you a special guest. And today we are going to be joined by Dr. Annalisa Caputi. Annalisa, how's it going, girl? Good. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm very excited. We are very excited. We've been talking about these these things for a couple of weeks now. So, mm-hmm. awesome. yeah, awesome. Yeah, I just want to take note of like just hearing you talk is calming. Like <laughs> I don't know what oh. it is. You're just hello. Thank you for having me. And I'm like, and there goes the stress from my body. So thank you. <laughs> Um, I take that as a huge compliment. Thank you. I'm definitely not a calm person. So the fact that I make people feel that way is a win-win for me. <laughs> they didn't teach you this in doctor school? Definitely not. Definitely not. It's a uh, practice makes perfect kind of skill. Um, but my patients tell me the same thing. So thanks, Lauren. <laughs> Aligned with the patients already. There we go. Yeah. Um, So I guess I can just kind of let you know a little bit about who I am and what I do and what brought me here. Yeah, I was just about Um, to head there anyway. Yeah, yeah, do it. Take it away. You guys can actually log off. I got it from here. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so my name's Annalisa. I'm a naturopathic doctor, a new naturopathic doctor, actually. Um, But my history with Elite goes way back. I'm actually the director of operations for Elite High Performance. So that's how I know Taylor and Lauren, which is really cool that all of our worlds kind of coincide and we're able to have these kinds of conversations. I practice mainly in women's health and hormones, which is why the topic that we're going to talk about today is something that I'm really passionate about. And I think that there's a lot of myth busting that needs to happen um, because a lot of people like to overcomplicate health, especially for athletes. So I think um, the takeaways from today might not be what you expect, but I look forward to chatting about it. Um, But in terms of practice, I practice in Ontario. So I have a practice in Guelph and Vaughan, Ontario. Um, And like I said, my practice is mainly around women's health and hormones, but I'm pretty general right now, just starting out, but that's where my passion lies for sure. Love that. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's still such a, like for so many people, even though we know a lot about it, so few really, truly understand the impact of hormones and like we're, we're getting to the point where we understand how diet might impact those things, mm-hmm. but for so long, especially in, you know, the sport and performance world, it's been about like what you eat, when you eat it and how much of it you eat. So I'm super excited to, to get into this with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's huge for athletes. And what I see in my practice with any athletic background specifically is actually the mental health side of things that Mm -hmm. come about. Um, I was a competitive dancer back in the day. So I had my fair share of the mental health side of things and how nutrition and movement and the impact from our coaches can definitely influence our body image, our self-confidence and that whole road of things. Um, So now in my practice and the role that I do right now, it's a lot of education around 
the things that we don't have literacy on, like no one teaches you menstrual cycle literacy. It's not something that you learn um, unless you choose to study that area of conversation. Um, so I spend a lot of time educating patients about the basics because they don't even really know what their body's doing normally, let alone certain things that are going on individually with them that we need to optimize. Um, so I have a few, I have a few patients in my head right now that I'm thinking about that are young athletes that just have zero background knowledge. And they're just kind of being told from their coaches and other people on their team about what to do. But a lot of the things mm -hmm. are actually really detrimental to their athletic performance, which is really unfortunate. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my. It I, mean, is I can wild. definitely relate though. Like there's a lot of things that you and I even talked about, I think it was a couple months ago when we had this conversation Mm -hmm. And you were saying these things and I was like, I don't know any of what you're saying right now. And I'm like a 28 year old woman, not 28, 27. Okay. Let's take it back a little bit. I'm 27 <laughs> years old still. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, to, to have this conversation with you and to not only be educating us, but also educating all of our really young listeners as well, it's going to be absolutely detrimental for them in terms of optimizing their performance moving forward as well. Yeah. yeah. And I think how we can start again, like in terms of what we're going to talk about today, it's very generalized. Everyone's very different. What, what normal is considered for each individual fluctuates dramatically. Um, so I do need to just preface that like anything I say does not constitute medical advice. There's no doctor patient relationship being formed. And if you feel like any of this resonates with you, reach out to your healthcare practitioner to make changes. Um, but this doesn't constitute medical advice itself, but in general, women or people who menstruate have like a 28 day cycle. I don't like harping on that 28 day number because technically anywhere from 21 to 35 days is considered normal. So right off the bat, people are like, oh, I thought like a 22 day cycle, super short, not the case at all. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but let's just say for conversational sake, we have a 28 day cycle. So the first half is your follicular phase in layman terms. It's basically where estrogen is rising and it's helping your follicles in your ovaries make a really mature egg that it's preparing to ovulate. When our estrogen is higher, this is when we feel stronger, we feel more confident, we have more energy, and it is, and I'm putting quotations, listeners can't see, but this is the time where you feel like you can do more high intensity exercise, okay? And that's kind of what we'll talk about with the athletic performance side. When you ovulate is when all of your body is pulling all of its resources to make sure you can efficiently ovulate. So this is where we're typically still feeling high energy, but it's starting to dip a little. And if you go on social media or the internet, they're going to tell you to be more restorative, do more relaxing, restorative exercises. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then post ovulation, which is the last two weeks of your cycle, this is your luteal phase. So this is where estrogen has come down because you just ovulated and progesterone is starting to take over. And the way that progesterone makes us feel is much more lethargic, less energy, more tired, and you feel like you just want to relax a lot more. So again, if you look on the internet, you're going to have guidance on doing very low intensity exercise, maybe doing some strength training, but nothing too high intensity. That all sounds fine and dandy because we're humans. We love following instructions. And the fact that I can tell you what to do throughout your cycle sounds great. The problem is there's literally zero literature to support that flow of exercise prescription. Okay. So what mm -hmm. I mean by that is, in exercise physiology, it's only mainly done in men, studies on men. And if we 
think about the athletic world, that's not surprising. But in terms of hormonal fluctuations, they don't have any. They don't have the same pattern as us. So we cannot take research that we did on men and then apply it to women. Okay. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is if you think about the menstrual cycle as a four-week process, I basically just told you that for three quarters of those four weeks that we need to do low-intensity restorative exercises. So basically, I'm telling people not to move if they don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. Great right? advice. Great awesome. advice. So it's, it's, isn't it kind of funny problem. how like that also coincides with the time where I feel shittiest about myself? <laughs> Exactly. And that's why um, I think we kind of took some new research on women and exercise prescription for women. And we noticed these hormonal fluctuations. And we noticed in terms of performance where they did their best in terms of if they were selective with the type of exercise that they were doing. But we took that and we ran with it. And now we're basically saying that as you're ovulating, you should relax. As you're during your luteal phase, you should relax. And only in your follicular phase, you should do super high intensity exercise and burn yourself out, right? That's mm-hmm. where I have a problem with it. Now, from the athletic standpoint, instead of having a conversation about exercise prescription, because that's not necessarily something we need because we are on a team, we have a schedule, and no matter where you are in your cycle, you got to do what you got to do. I'm more so interested in how do we fuel your body to support your exercise demands during that process? And that's where the nutrition piece comes into play, right? Um, And another thing about athletes is it's usually not a matter of you're doing the wrong exercise. It's actually a matter of you're moving too much and you're fueling too little. Right. Right. And that's where the impact on your period and your menstrual cycle comes into play. And I see athletes who don't have a period at all. I see mm-hmm. athletes who got their period later than they should have. And I see athletes who come to me with a very irregular menstrual cycle and they think that that's normal for them, but it's actually because their body is under so much stress because we're over moving and under fueling. It's so interesting. And, you know, you could get into like all the ways that women really haven't been set up for success in in a high intensity exercise environment. Mm-hmm that just goes way back in history. But one of the things that stood out to me as soon as you started talking about this was I'd never had a female strength coach. Right. And I I never had even female hockey coaches until I was in my last couple of years of high school. Mm -hmm. So when you start to ask these people and it's no fault of their own, right? If they haven't done the research on their own, they're like, Oh, I want to learn a lot about this. Exactly. Yeah. Even though it has nothing to do with me, Mm -hmm. you just, it like, you're not, it's not that you're not getting all the information that you need. You might still be getting good info, but you are missing a key component of it. Exactly. And I think that our focus is on the wrong thing, right? Like, I don't think we need to focus on telling an athlete how to exercise. I think we need to focus on telling an athlete to support your exercise. These are the nutritional guidelines you should be following. And we also need to prioritize rest and rejuvenation because like, let's be honest here, that's not a priority a lot of the time when you have a game till nine and you're up for practice at five, right? Um, I think those are the things we need to emphasize more so instead of harping on cycle syncing. And I'm using Mm -hmm. quotations for that term again. Um, I mean, we just talked about the importance of rest and recovery in last week's episode and and why 
athletes need to be taking care of their bodies both mentally and physically and and making sure that they understand themselves enough to say okay like I need to take a break or I need to take a step back or maybe taking an hour to do something restorative for myself so I can show up in a way that's going to be productive not only for the team but mainly you know for myself as well exactly and I think what that can translate to from a movement perspective is your training schedule is the same no matter where you are in your cycle because it depends on where you're at in your season but if you know that you're ovulating or you know that you're in your luteal phase that just means you put a little bit more emphasis on the stretching and the restorative exercises like yoga or pilates and I'm not even tied to what the movement is I don't really care what it is as long as it's happening Um, whereas during your follicular phase you might feel less inclined to have to do those restful exercises because your estrogen is making you feel a lot stronger but that's also very contingent on your menstrual cycle being regular which in athletes is very not common so that's another Mm -hmm. thing too we're kind of using this assumption that they're menstruating regularly and their hormonal fluctuations are going as they should which usually is not the case because they're not supporting their bodies properly at all from the beginning Mm -hmm. so when it comes to female athletes like where do you see the disconnect in their nutrition then? Like, are they constantly just under fueling and over moving? Or is it a mix of like, you know, when you do hit your menstruation period and like you're overeating, under exercising or, or like, what is it that you're kind of seeing? Yeah, I think it's a lot of nutrition is very overwhelming, right? We make it really complicated. Um, and Mm. I'm not a registered dietitian. I'm very well trained in nutrition, but in terms of the nitty gritty and, you know, certain athletes that are power lifters, for example, have very strict eating patterns and routines to achieve a certain weight. That's a different wheelhouse. That's not what we're talking about. But what I find constantly is the information that they're given in terms of macros and how much macronutrients they should be consuming is usually not where it needs to be. Um, the example I always bring up is protein, right? We know protein builds muscle. We know it fuels our energy. We know it helps our metabolism and our performance. We know that. But when we need to actually get down to the quantification of how much protein we need, we usually miss the target here. Um, the best way I can explain this is if someone were to do a random Google search and ask about protein requirements, you're going to get a number that says 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight, Okay. So to the average person, you're like, cool, I can do that simple calculation and I'll know what my goal needs to be. The problem is when they do nutritional research to determine required daily intakes, they do it based off of basic necessity survival. They don't take into account your activity level. If we Mm -hmm. take into account an athlete, a female athlete's activity level, whose hormones are fluctuating by the day constantly, that requirement actually increases to 1.2 to 1.7 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. And usually, obviously it depends on your weight, but that's over a hundred grams of protein a day. And I can guarantee you, if you lined up a team of female hockey players and asked them what their protein content was every day, they're probably not hitting that. Um, It's it's not their fault. And it's not their fault. It's just that they don't have that goal in place. And they also don't know all of the possible ways that that protein could be put into their diet. Um, Mm -hmm. that's usually the biggest conversation around nutrition that I have. And what we notice is when our protein goal is being met, their performance improves, their muscle recovery improves and their muscle building improves. Um, Mm -hmm. and they also feel like they're able to keep them up, keep up more with their training schedule. Um, now that's very simplistic and that's like one element, but if it's, if you're asking me about the biggest thing that I notice nutritionally, it's protein intake. It's so interesting 
because I'm trying to like loop things into themes sort of Mm -hmm. and I think the biggest theme that I'm noticing already is that for so long we've latched on to this idea as female athletes will suffer in their Mm -hmm. performance because of their menstrual cycle in some way shape or form and there's no getting around that you just have to rest this is your time to rest because biologically your body's trying to prepare yourself to have a baby and it's like right why is that the perspective we're looking at as opposed to saying like no your body's doing this it's fucking cool by the way um but what you can do to mitigate some of those natural feelings that you might notice is to fuel your body properly exactly and that's kind of the narrative that I'm trying to change because we always view our hormones as the enemy right? Mm -hmm. And I treat a lot of perimenopausal and menopausal women. And let me tell you, when the hormones go, you miss them. (laughs) Because the symptoms you feel and the changes that happen to your body are not welcomed. Um, So I don't like when people say, oh, I hate, I hate my period. I wish I didn't have my period. I, I view it completely different. When I have my regular cycle and it's happening bang on and it's a good one, I'm like, yes like the body's doing what it needs to do. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of it is what you mentioned around just reframing the language that like your period's not working against you. As a female athlete, you actually have a lot of opportunity to maximize the amount that you're able to perform. You just need to become a little bit more self-aware, fuel yourself properly and be aware to the point that you know what your body needs, right? Like if there's a day where you need to stretch a little bit more, stretch a little bit more. If there's a day where you're like, I need to ground myself and I need to like calm down my nervous system because I'm super heightened right now, do some yoga. Doesn't It mm-hmm. doesn't have to be complicated. It just needs the awareness and that what's right for you is not going to be right for the athlete beside you. Mm-hmm. What you just said actually like kind of put, like put, put a question in my mind. So you said like, you know, you obviously really appreciate that your cycle is on time. And then it made me think about my own experience. Like I was on a pill when I was in university and I would only get my period once every three months. So I got my period like four times a year and I forget how long I was on that pill for, but when I went off of it, I didn't get my period for like a year. And then after that, I finally had like a regular 28 to 30 day period, like almost on the first of every month. And then I got my IUD put in. And now it's stretched out to like 35, 37 days in between getting periods. And it's the most frustrating thing on the face of the planet for me. (laughs) But it then makes me think about what role does any sort of birth control, especially hormonal birth control, play Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not only in your menstrual cycle, but also in in female athletes, because obviously that's going to cause more extreme fluctuations, I would think. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, it's kind of a different ball game. So first and foremost, um, there's a time and a place for birth control. There's a time and a place for IUDs. Um, if you're looking for pure contraception, that's the way to go. There was no such thing as natural contraception. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, <laughs> every Everyone is very different in their view. But like I said, I'm very evidence-based and I'm very integrative. So there are situations where I actually think it's completely necessary. Just Just throwing that out there. Um, in terms of the influence that that has on your natural menstrual cycle, that's another area where I think a lot of young women are very misguided and misinformed. And these are a lot of conversations that I have with my patients because they don't actually understand what the birth control is doing 
to their physiological menstrual cycle. The best way I can explain it is you're taking exogenous hormones that are influencing your natural production. When you have a bleed, you're not having a period. You only have a period if you've ovulated or if the lining has shed, okay? If you have an IUD, your lining's not shedding, right? Because the IUD is literally in the line of your uterus, preventing it from growing and then shedding. When it comes to the oral contraceptive pill, it's, it's taking timely and structured doses of estrogen to prevent your own from peaking so that you don't ovulate, you can't have a baby. And the withdrawal bleed that happens is just because for that week of those pills, you're not taking any hormones to prevent you from shedding. So I think that's a very long-winded way of explaining that you're not actually having a period. So whenever patients come to me and they're on any sort of contraception and they want some guidance on how their natural hormonal fluctuations are going, I can't give you that information because I don't know, because something else is in control of it. Mm -hmm. How that relates to female athletes is that the concept of fueling and rest and restorative exercises during certain times, that conversation is still just as relevant. It's just that in terms of identifying what their hormonal profile looks like and how the fluctuations impact their performance, we're not able to objectively assess that because we have something else that's controlling it. I hope that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, it does. But then it kind of makes me wonder like, like, what's the difference then if you're like taking a non-hormonal birth control that's not supposed to be playing any sort of role in terms of that? Yeah. So that would be in terms of the IUD primarily, there are non-hormonal forms of the IUD. Um, and in that case, you know, they suggest that it only works locally so that there's no systemic effects of, of the, the non-hormonal IUD, which is not necessarily the case, right? Like there have been instances where the effect is found more systemically, which would impact your natural hormonal production. Um, this is, this is a conversation that is out of the scope of NDs just because we're not the prescribers of birth control or the IUD, but these are the educational conversations that I have with my patients because there's usually that lack of informed consent. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just straight up giving you the knowledge and the facts about what you're taking and what it's doing to your body, not in a negative way, but I think we're misinformed about Um, the fact that we're going to be in tune with our cycle still, even on these things. And it's not necessarily the case. Um, Mm. But like I said, a time and place for all of the above. And I advocate for certain patients to utilize those because depending on their situation. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of athletes are on a sort of hormonal birth control, hormonal IUD, non-hormonal IUD. There's so many contraceptive options. Um, But that doesn't take away from how important fueling is and how important rest and restore is. Um, it just means that we have a little bit less information about where their hormonal fluctuations are happening. That's all. Interesting. But what they can, what female athletes can take from this is that there's actually a lot more within your control than probably they've been led to believe at this point. Exactly. That's That's exactly which is huge. And a lot of it is just misinformation and lack of education, really. Like it's not, I'm not telling you anything out of this world, right? I'm just telling you. Feels pretty out of this world. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And to be honest, like a lot of what we do is debunk that misinformation because I think health doesn't have to be as complicated as it's made out to be. Um, And especially with the menstrual cycle, it's working with us, not against us. And I think the whole fad of cycle syncing, I understand where it's coming from. And again, 
we're humans. We love instructions. We love rules. So if you had someone map out to you your exact exercise prescription based off of where you were in your cycle, sign me up, right? Like, I, because I don't have to think about it. But that's just mm -hmm. like not what the literature supports. That's not what studies in exercise physiology report. Um, it just reports that, yes, you psychologically and cognitively might feel different about your workout, depending on where you are, right? Like if I hit a PR on my deadlift during my follicular phase, I might feel it a lot more than I do when I ovulate or in my luteal phase, but the actual performance of that exercise is the same. My hormones are not working against me. It just right. might mean that if I'm doing it during the latter half of my cycle, I need a little bit more time to rest and restore compared to the beginning. Um, mm. But kind of pulling back from athletes, the biggest problem I have is we're talking about cycle syncing and being really nitty gritty about exercise in a population that to get them to move is like pulling teeth right? We're not talking about a healthy population of people where I'm like, no guys, you're, you're moving too much, slow down, right? If anything, it's the exact opposite. Like to get people to move their bodies is already an obstacle for a variety of reasons. So I'm not about to tell someone who's going through perimenopause because they feel like shit during their last half of their cycle that they should just lie on the couch. Absolutely not. That is not what I'm going to be telling them. Um, so that's kind of where I'm not the biggest fan of the fad. I understand where it's coming from, but I think we need to be extremely careful with how we talk about it and how we apply it to different people. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's definitely worth, worth noting as well, right? I mean, obviously the audience we have here is very high, high moving individuals who have very strict training regimes now whether I mean we we talk mainly about women's hockey of course but obviously we also speak to I don't even know how many sports we speak to to be honest with you I know how many countries we speak to but yeah, um yeah. but I assume that there's a, a wide breadth of people that listen to the podcast and coming from different areas of performance so um mm -hmm. that being said right like when we talk about the importance of nutrition with athletes performance Mm -hmm. what kind of a role does like being on your period play in those moments though like in the sense of mm -hmm. like, obviously you're losing a lot of mm -hmm. you're, you're losing a lot of blood yeah. I'm just gonna say it. yeah. it's, it's happening yeah, yeah, yeah. right so yeah. like Absolutely. how how important is it for athletes to be taking extra care in those moments when they have to be performing for like a high level competition for example yeah, that's a really great question. And one that I love to answer. Um, I always think you cannot be your own care provider. You always need a team of people to take care of you, right? Just like actual doctors need a doctor, right? Um, so in that kind of situation, I think it's really important for athletes to get an overall assessment of their baseline health. And what that includes is looking at their iron status looking at their thyroid health because their thyroid is influencing their metabolism and how they utilize the fuel that they're eating, right? Looking at their baseline inflammation, because if there's a lot of inflammation going on, then that gears a treatment plan towards that direction. Their vitamin D status is huge. All of these things that I'm mentioning very much fluctuate throughout your cycle and can be influenced by how someone's menstrual cycle is, whether they're bleeding irregularly, bleeding consistently, how heavy they're bleeding, et cetera. From a hormonal perspective, when it comes to PMS, and I'm using PMS in quotations because we use that term really loosely, but that term can actually only apply when you have an ovulatory cycle. So if you have a cycle where you don't ovulate and you have symptoms, they're technically not premenstrual symptoms. That's a whole other conversation though. Um, if you took 10 people in a row 
that experience PMS and you tested their hormones all on the same day of their cycle, they're going to look completely different. So there's actually no validity in testing hormones because it's not the hormone level itself that's making the impact. It's the fluctuations of them day to day. So that's why it's important to assess all of those other things that I mentioned, because then we can support those items nutritionally through movement, stress management, um, supplements, if necessary, nutraceuticals and herbs, you name it. It kind of depends on what we're talking about. Um, but for every, every athlete, I would suggest having a baseline assessment of your metabolic health and then being able to optimize your performance from there with the help of a healthcare provider, for sure. You're right. And then you just go to your like regular physician for this. I would assume. Yeah. Whoever right? that is, whoever that is. So, um, regular physician, naturopathic doctors, depending on where you are, are able to prescribe lab work as well. Um, again, uh, naturopaths are not regulated everywhere yet. It depends on where you live and their scope also depends on where you live. Cause I know this audience is very international. Mm -hmm. Um, but in Ontario, at least we are able to request blood work for all of the items that I mentioned and deal with treating all of those things. So at least mm -hmm. in Ontario, we're in a pretty good spot. Well, good. If you live in Ontario, definitely yeah. go and get that looked at. I mean, I know yeah. when I was, um, uh, when I was in university, I, moved back to New Brunswick after the summer and I had to get my thyroid tested and turned mm. out that I had an underactive thyroid. I couldn't get through the day without having, having to nap. Mm. I was so exhausted all the time. And I went and I got my blood work done from our physician in New Brunswick. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, you're, you have like a very underactive thyroid. So mm -hmm. we have to give you some pills for this because this is like, I thought that it was in my head. I was like, I just like, am I just just so tired that I can't function. Like, I don't know what's going on. Um, yeah. so yeah, the hot, the, the thyroid thing is just like a, it hits home for me. So like super, super important to get that looked at. Absolutely. And like I said, it doesn't matter where you are. You can assess these things wherever you are. Um, it's really important because when you do feel those symptoms like fatigue and low energy, it's really easy to put the blame on yourself. Like, Oh, maybe it's just in my head. Like, am I going crazy? You're absolutely not going crazy. You're just very in tune with your body and you know when something's wrong. You are your best judge of that because any physician that you see is not in your body. So they don't actually know how you feel. Um, and in relation to athletes, that's another really big component outside of the menstrual cycle. Like that largely impacts their energy levels and their ability to perform at their peak. So it's not just the menstrual cycle that we need to worry about. It's also the baseline of all of those other aspects of their health that could be easily corrected and largely influence their performance, but it's not necessarily something we're taught to prioritize. I think that's the best way I'll put it. Mm -hmm. um, I always say that we live in a world that has a very sick care system, not a healthcare system. So it treats symptoms mm -hmm. and disease, but our role is basically catching it beforehand and being more preventative before it displays as like a really severe condition. Um, and that's of no fault to anyone. That's just the way it is. Um, and that's why I love what I do, because I can work integratively with other healthcare practitioners and help patients meet their goals, just in a little bit of a different way, um, and a little bit mm -hmm. of a different approach. Mm -hmm. Well, you hear that, Lauren, it all comes back to the self-awareness piece, as usual. So, yes, <laughs> yes. The other part of it that I was thinking about, too, and I couldn't agree with you more about, like, we have the a sick care system. Right. Yeah. And oftentimes, insurance wise, that's the only time that you can get coverage is if you're displaying very specific symptoms. 
I think mm-hmm. about the mental health field and it frustrates me to no end. You yep. literally have to check a certain number of boxes before you'll get taken care of. Yep. So one of the other things that I think we can talk about is like advocating for yourself. And oh, yeah. once you become aware of what's going on in your body and how you feel, mm-hmm. being able to trust that and move mm-hmm. forward, trusting how you feel because nobody knows how you feel mm-hmm. better than you do exactly. and starting to have those conversations, whether it's first with your primary care and branching out from there, being able to, to stick up for yourself and how you feel is really important because the healthcare system, it, it doesn't work great all the time. Right. And it, it's not built to show up for every single individual and advocate for every single individual. Exactly. And I'm happy you said that, Lauren, because I think we both have a, a mutual friend who went through some pretty significant mental health issues and he was constantly told like, nope, that's not it. Nope, 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 nope. And he trusted his body to the point where he went and figured it out. I don't know if it was for himself or if he just kept pushing until he found someone who could actually help him. And it turned out that he had a testosterone problem, a testosterone, testosterone. What is it? Testosterone. <laughs> so, like, yeah, absolutely. You know your body better than anybody else. And if, if you feel that there is an issue, don't let someone undermine the knowledge that you have about yourself. Mic drop. <laughs> That's it right there. Yeah, self-advocacy is like one of the main pillars of my practice and I like I said I spend a lot of time talking to patients about how the little things that they notice all add up to be a really big deal and not to ignore them because that's the whole premise of preventative medicine and I do see healthcare moving in that direction but the only way it's going to do that is if we have the right practitioners self-advocating for their patients and the people themselves are self-advocating for themselves including athletes and listen I life is busy I know time's an issue. I know the concept of taking care of yourself is still something society is warming up to. Um, and now there's the whole like self-care is really big, right? Like everyone talks about self-care. But what does that mean, right? I struggle with that. Self-care does not mean going to the spa for a day. That doesn't solve your burnout from the last seven years, right? <laughs> Absolutely yeah. not. And that's where I'm like, yeah, but like, what does self-care mean? Self-care doesn't just mean like go sit in the pool for an hour and think about your life. Like that's not what self-care means. Self-care means taking care of all aspects of your foundational health and Mm -hmm. for athletes that's even more important because something that's really important to them is their performance and the only way to optimize their performance is if their foundations of health are super strong anything you do beyond that is going to be completely irrelevant if the foundation is not solidified yeah that's a mic drop right there yeah i was gonna say now we're just on round two of mic drop (laughs) that's a mic drop right there um and I know I'm not a hockey player, but I, I would consider competitive dance a sport. And uh, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't do that it's, stuff. Mm-mm. No. And the way that I can relate is my coaches, they would make comments about, you know, what we were eating, how we looked, um, you know, our ability to perform on certain days. And when you're a competitive dancer growing up, those are like very influential years of your life, right? Like when you first get your period, you're, you're learning your hormonal fluctuations, you don't really know what's going on and why you feel like shit all the time. So to have that feedback from people that you admire and that you, you follow as an authority figure can be really hard. Um, 
So I think for athletes, no matter what sport you play, they can all relate to that. And as women, we kind of have to stick together and advocate for ourselves because it's in a very male dominant driven industry still to this day. So the only way to break free from that is to come up on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, love it. I said it better myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you did. You said it. Great. <laughs> uh, well, is there anything else that you think like young young women or even you know women in their 20s who are listening um 30s 40s moms who are listening on behalf of their daughters like is there anything else that you would want to to share for them in terms of just stuff to move forward with so to moms or to parents of athletes my biggest thing just listen to them Mm -hmm. listen to them and validate what they're feeling um don't relate your own experience as an early menstruator don't put that on on your daughters right because their experience is very different um and as the young teen or adult if any of this resonates with you use it as motivation to become more self-aware of your health decide what the next steps are for you that feel right and learn more Um, because this is not something temporary. Women go through hormonal fluctuations from puberty to the reproductive age to perimenopause to menopause. It doesn't stop, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So the earlier we're able to self-identify how that relates to us and learn more about the basis, the better you are to set yourself up for success going forward. Um, I wish I did that. And I didn't because it wasn't necessarily something that we focused on, but I think society is is bumping it up a little bit. So I think there's a lot of free resources at our fingertips that we can utilize. And even if you're international, I would love for them to like reach out to me on Instagram if they have any questions, because I'd be happy to just have a discussion about this because it's something I get really fired up about clearly because I haven't shut up. (laughs) It's been great. Oh my God. (laughs) You've been educating both of us so much in the last, what, like 30 minutes or 40 minutes here. Um, but on the note of plugging your Instagram, do you want to just toss in all the plugs and we can also put them in the description box below for folks to go and take a look at if they want to reach out and have a conversation. For sure. So my Instagram is at Dr. Annalisa Caputi ND. So that's Dr. Annalisa Caputi ND. Um, I also have a website. It's the same Dr. Annalisa Caputi ND.com. Um, but Instagram is where I'm the most active. So you can always shoot me a message on there and I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have about anything we chatted about today, regardless of where you live. So. Perfect. And what about any of like the services that you offer? I don't know. Like it's, we always like to, to know because we're coming up on Christmas and there's like oh, yeah. lots of oh, offers. Yeah. So I don't know if you have any special offers for, I believe you're only working with residents of Ontario. So yeah. So um, as a naturopathic doctor, you're only licensed in the jurisdiction that you live in. So um, I'm licensed in Ontario, which means I can offer virtual care to anyone in Ontario, but I also see um, in, in-person people in Guelph and in Vaughan. Um, I'm at two different practices. So depending on where you live, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, And in terms of the time of the year, this is where benefits are expiring. So I always say, I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. There's no excuse to wait another 30 days to make the change that you can just do tomorrow. So maximize your benefits, get in that initial visit before the end of the year, and then 
starting off 2023, you'll already be on a really good foot forward to kickstart your health. Um, so yeah, if anyone's in Ontario, I offer complimentary 15 minute consults. If you have any questions about what naturopathic medicine is, what we do, um, and kind of what my style of practice is and how we can work together, I'd be more than happy to have that with anyone who's interested. Oh man, I might be scheduling an appointment with you soon. So <laughs> I'm here. I'm ready. No benefits for me, but um, maybe if I come home, finding like a nice acupuncture would be really oh, nice. Yeah. So, oh yeah. Yeah. If anyone is in Vaughn at my in-person practice in Vaughn, I am doing 25% off acupuncture and cupping services. So that's always an incentive too. Okay. I'm just going to fly back to Ontario. <laughs> yeah. I'm <laughs> stopping by. <laughs> my calves could use some R and R for sure. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. calves traps everything (laughs) my uh, my office my office is in um the gambit athletic club which is the gym that my husband owns actually um so that's pretty much all i get is the guys who go in there and work out a lot and then they're sore and then they just walk three steps right into my office so it's really convenient that's a setup and a half mm-hmm. yeah like, i know it's, it's working out pretty well actually. work smarter not harder ladies and yeah. gentlemen <laughs> exactly um yeah so I'm, I'm extremely grateful for what i do and these kinds of conversations is kind of what fuels my fire so thanks for having me on today no thanks so much for being on educating us as well as all of the listeners with this great information on women's health and hormones it's been a pleasure uh, Lauren, do you have anything you wanted to add before we jump off here? No, I'm just maybe looking forward to an appointment soon, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I think, um, with the past two episodes heading into a break time for a lot of sports, whether or not you get a week or two weeks or three weeks or whatever, um, big themes, I'm always pulling out themes, um, advocate for yourself, know yourself and trust yourself get the like the perfectionist voice that's in your head telling you that you have to do 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 and go 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 all the time if that's not what your body is telling you then it's it's time to start listening to it and keep that in mind as we enter into the break make sure that you get some rest get some movement as well but make sure that you're listening to your body first and foremost Mm -hmm. yep that's the third mic drop Yes, I got the mic drop. Let's go. And on that note, we're out of here. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, guys. No, thanks so much for coming on, Elisa. It was a a pleasure to have you. And for all the listeners, as usual, thanks for tuning in. Um, We are so grateful to have you listening to every single episode on Wednesdays. This is our second last episode of the season. So we will see you one more time next week. And then after that, we're taking a much needed rest and recovery for ourselves for a few weeks before we come back with season two in January. So make sure to stay tuned to next week's episode as we do have a special offer as a special Christmas gift for everybody or holiday gift or whichever term you like to use these days. So again, thanks so much for listening. Leave us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple and we'll see you next week. Bye.